Hi, I'm Mike David, and my thoughts and opinions are my own, and not a representation of the Movie Rose community, its sponsors, or its brands. Guess who's Bizak? Thank you so much for still downloading the show. I'm your host, Mike David, and this is The Commando. Welcome back to The Commando. Yes, I took a well-needed hiatus from recording, but I never took a break from combat sports or MMA in general. Crazy enough, it seems that MMA has become so popular, you don't need to be in an octagon to get assaulted. Well, I guess you wouldn't be getting assaulted if you signed to get beat up. <laughs> from John Jones, Chael Sonnen, Cain Velasquez, to Jorge Malvidal, and of course, the slap heard around the world by Will Smith. And yes, it's pronounced Malvidal. Congrats to the winners at 273. I had Pichel, Torres, and Jan, but those sprawls and transitions really changed the night and really showed what judges were looking to score for. One thing I did notice was the commentator perspective. I'm not shitting on anybody, but Paul Felder might be one of the best commentators outside of Cormier and Bisping. That's just my opinion. I'm honestly glad judges have a set guideline to observe from. And of course, judging is still based on an opinion. Listening to commentators speak from pop culture viewpoints can really blind casual fans and even fighters. You hear fighters speak about what they hear inside the octagon, especially on the apex bouts, where ex-fighters seem to indirectly coach based on the obstacle a fighter in the octagon may be currently experiencing. One of those examples is when Daniel Cormier, <laughs> I believe it was... Uh, Adrian Yanez, I may be getting his name wrong, but I believe it was Adrian Yanez, was having a hard time, and he was getting jabbed the fuck up. And Daniel Cormier immediately noticed what was happening, and Adrian Yanez actually corrected, corrected his timing and started countering almost immediately. Now, I'm forgetting the opponent's name, who he actually ended up beating in that match, in that match but you have to think at some point, was Daniel Cormier giving better advice than Adrian Yanez's coach? Now, when you see this happen, kind of like at the Apex bouts, and we don't know if this will happen again since the Apex bouts are, are seeming to grow in audience size and since things are open, opening up almost completely now, we may never get to see, hopefully, <laughs> if we get to the Apex point, that it means something may be wrong with the the outside world if there's no more audience but hopefully we never get to that point again but watching something like that unfold in front of your eyes live is very intriguing moving on but first before we get into the show before we actually dive into this week's commando i want to give a special shout out to rebecca munoz rebecca munoz host of culture talks a year or so ago i came across rebecca's instagram and i was blown away by not only Rebecca's positivity, creativity, but the consistency behind everything she put out from her YouTube channel to her Instagram to even her, her page, her actual website. Now, when I was just getting movie roles up and going, I reached out to Rebecca and I asked her permission to showcase her and promote Culture Talks and Culture Society on MovieRolls.com. Guess what? Not only did she say yes, she was the first person to say yes. So thank you, Rebecca, for believing in movie roles before anyone did. You were the first member, and you are now an honorary sponsor of the Movie Roles platform. 
and I wholeheartedly appreciate you. If you'd like to show Rebecca some love, please head over to the MovieRolls.com homepage and check out Culture Society. There you can find quick links to her website, her IG, YouTube channel, and even Rebecca's link tree. Thank you, Rebecca. Starting off this week of The Commando, we're going to talk about, obviously every, every time I do my show, this is my show, I, I talk about what the fuck I want to talk about, but we're going to talk about the Dawkus brothers. If you're not familiar with Kyle and Chris Dawkus, they are two brothers who actually debuted in the same year in UFC. They seem to be very dedicated to their craft. As an example of this, I remember Kyle Dawkus speaking of taking time off after his fight against Kevin Holland. Kevin wanted to run it back immediately. Kyle was like, eh, I'm going to help my brother in the heavyweight division. Like, I'm, my brother has a fight coming up. I'm going to help him. That's, that's a little bit more important than getting this, you know, than getting that W. That speaks volumes to not only Kyle's career, but Kyle's passion and Chris's passion. Now, Kyle, 29, he went pro 2017. Actually became a Cage Fury champion, or Cage Fury middleweight champion, which makes more sense and why he's kind of, you know, climbing the ladder through the middleweight division. In 2019, he won via unanimous decision on the Contender Series. Dana White wasn't impressed enough to pick him. But crazy enough, Kyle still debuted that next year in 2020. Maybe Dana really didn't like him, or, you know, maybe he was just throwing him a bone. Because his first fight in the UFC was against a killer named Brandon Allen. Now, since then, Brandon Allen's been pretty inconsistent in, in his bouts at middleweight. But... We're talking about the greatest people in the world. We're, we're talking about the greatest martial artists in a particular weight class. Now, Kyle Dawkins has some notable wins. He has a win over Phil Halls, and most recently, he has a win over Jamie Pickett. If you don't know who Jamie Pickett is and you don't know who Phil Halls is, these are two bad men. These are one of the <laughs> hardest, or I, how, how do I, I don't know how to quantify being in the ring with someone I've never been in the ring with before, but Phil Halls looked like a scary motherfucker, period. Jamie Pickett always comes out to end things within the first or second round. Kyle Dawkins beat both of these men, also beating Jamie Pickett by first round submission. I already spoke about the no contest or, you know, I kind of mumbled over the no contest with Kevin Holland. Will they ever run that back since Kevin Holland kind of dropped down a welter? Who knows? Do they need to run it back? I don't really think so. And, in my opinion, I think Kevin Holland was losing that fight anyways. Kevin Holland moving to welterweight might be a better choice for the weight class and his opponents. I don't really see much more ladder climbing in the middleweight division for Kevin Holland. But this, this, this topic is not about Kevin Holland. <laughs> now, Kyle moving up in the middleweight division and already being a champion in another organization... I feel he has the confidence to start climbing the ladder and potentially probably make some leaps. Looking at the middleweight division in UFC, the top 15, within the top 15, it's about, eh, what, five or six spots, maybe up to spot 10. I believe Kyle Dawkins has a chance between any of those men. Edmund Shabazian being, I believe, currently in the 15th spot in the UFC in the middleweight division, I think he's on two or three losses. Kyle against Edmund Ground game, stand-up, I, I honestly think that's the perfect matchup if Kyle wants to take that next ladder step up or 
if he fills his time, they get that ranking next to his name. Now, if you don't, if you're not familiar with Edmund Shabazian, if you're not familiar with uh, Ed, Edmund Shabazian's finer points as a fighter, he's not very. And again, this is this is opinion based program here. This is for entertainment, but he's not that good on the ground from what we've seen. Now, I say that because he's grappled with or have experienced bouts with two of the best grapplers in the middleweight division, two of the best wrestlers in the middleweight division, however you want to pan it out, or they don't lean on their stand-up game as much as they rely on their ground game. Point being, Kyle Dacus is great on the ground. He's good with submissions. But Kyle Dacus is a nice striker. And Edmund Shabazian, man, his striking is pretty slick. So imagine these two going at it. There's not going to... I foretell that there probably won't be much ground anything unless Kyle feels like he's getting pressured too much and maybe Edmund starts piecing him up. Then he might take it to the ground. Hey, Kyle might switch it up just enough to keep Edmund Shabazzian on his toes. Switching it up from ground game to clinch to striking. So with that being said, I feel like Kyle in the middleweight division might be in the right spot to start climbing ever so slightly. Let's see what his next bout can be. Or let's see when they announce his next bout. Moving on to Chris Dawkins. I believe he's a former police officer. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I doubt he's still patrolling the streets <laughs> looking for people to knock the fuck out or the perfect occupation to have to be a, a fighter or to, to be training to be a fighter on the Philadelphia streets. Now, Chris Dacus is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with KOs in the heavyweight division over some dangerous men. But as of lately, Chris's last two bouts, he's actually been served up the same fate. He got KO'd by Derek Lewis. And then, uh, which uh, I don't know who's matchmaking here, but it seemed like he went up in problems because he got KO'd by Curtis Blades. I don't know if maybe he thought Curtis Blades was going to wrestle more. You know what? I'm almost certain he thought Curtis Blades was going to wrestle more and didn't have enough hands. Now, I bring up these two brothers because I, I want to speak about the ups and downs. I want to speak about passion. I want to speak about what it takes for you to stay in the game. Now, what's next for Chris? Being as he has lost two fights in the heavyweight division, it may not be time for him to move down and wait but he might want to rethink how he approaches these fights. I always said, and everybody can see, if you, <laughs> if you swing and bang with Derek Lewis, you're most likely going down if your skull's not built like Tai Tuivasa's. Now, Curtis Blade said Chris Dawkins didn't feel like a heavyweight in the octagon. I'm not a heavyweight. If you can tell that a man is not built for that division, if you could tell a man is not built within a fight, that speaks a lot, but that's for Chris to make that decision. Now, Chris does look like he carries around a lot of access weight, as most heavyweights do. Shit, most light heavyweights carry around some access weight. These aren't love, but like other weight classes where you're literally skinning your teeth to get down in weight. You're literally, you know, you're counting the calories at some point. This is not the case with Chris. Now, moving down to light heavyweight, that may give him what he needs, but again, you're just getting killers 
that are specializing in something a little different within each weight class. If you go light heavyweight, you got speed. If you go bantam, well, you, you probably got more speed, less power. So again, every weight class has its pros and cons. Chris moving down, I don't know if that solves any of his problems if he's not willing to use more than his striking. This week's sponsor, Stadium, a sport odyssey, a two-player collectible strategy cardboard game where you play as head coaches in a futuristic take on football. The twist is, this is a collectible card game as well. Now, if you head over to MovieRolls.com and check out the arcade profile for Stadium Sport Odyssey, so you'll see all the quick links to get a little bit more familiar with the details of the strategy board game. You'll see the YouTube links to the setup, to the phases, and how enjoyable this game can actually be once you get it home. If you want, you can head directly over to Stadium, a sportodyssey.com, and check out the game there. Clear off the kitchen table, knock off the dishes. This is the type of game that deserves its own space and doesn't need to be crowded by any salt pepper. Now, after watching the London card, um, I probably was, uh, well, I'm almost sure. I'm almost sure people were as shocked as I was. The opening shot of UFC London, I thought it was a fucking pay-per-view. And then my mind immediately saw that it said fight night, and I said, whoa. This is probably one of the dopest fight nights. The roar of an excited crowd, like, like welcome back. Like, this is this, shit, we've missed this. That feeling felt like a pay-per-view. It felt like one of the best pay-per-views at the end of the card that I've ever seen, and it was still a fight night, which means it probably was one of the best fight nights ever. Yeah, we could probably mask over a lot of those COVID fight nights. <laughs> a lot of those apex joints. Even in Abu Dhabi, where the crowd was very limited. But why I brought up the London fucking card in the first place is because Jack Shore. Jack Shore, now, watching Jack Shore fight you may not have seen some impressive shit. You may have just seen another fight. You may have been bored. I don't fucking know. I was impressed. I was impressed by several things Jack Shore did within the fight against Valiv, uh, Valev. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But this is not the Valev moment. This is not the Valev segment. It's the Jack Shore segment. Jack Shore is undefeated. Jack Shore, 26, made his UFC debut in 2019, started training when he was six and went pro in 2016. Currently has a 60% striking accuracy and 85% takedown defense. Fucking incredible. Now, I, I'm bringing up stats here because I want to talk about not only the striking, but the takedown defense, or grappling in general coming from Jack Shore. Now, as I said before, Jack Shore is currently undefeated and is a former Cage Warriors champ. Him being a warrior in another, him being a warrior, yeah, he's a warrior. Him being a champion in, North, in another organization speaks to the highest level of competition where, where experience makes the difference. There were several moments within those three rounds where I saw things that I, I guess maybe I, I didn't really notice from other fighters or maybe just the way Jack Shore did it, I, I noticed it almost immediately. And it 
showed me why I would love to watch more of Jack Shore fight. In round one, there's a striking exchange where it looks like Jack Shore is almost asking or begging for Valiv to take him down. And as soon as Valiv throws a strike, Jack Shore almost pulls guard or he, he, he does a thing where he rises back to his feet almost immediately by using Valiv's weight in the transition. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. For any fighter who doesn't know how to transition, don't, doesn't know how to get up from the ground game, uh, doesn't know how to, what's the word I'm looking for? Doesn't know how to take advantage of those split seconds or those mistakes or missteps their opponent makes. That's what I, this is what I'm bringing to perspective-wise when I'm speaking about Jack Shore. In round two, while Believe and Jack Shore are on the ground, Jack Shore's on top, Believe is posturing his feet and getting his hooks in so Jack Shore can't pass through his guard and get full mount. Now, what Jack Shore does in unhooking one of Vali's legs, when his foot, his foot is actually hooked on the inside, Jack Shore basically extends his leg or kind of like lays down into Valiv and literally gets the hook off. It's so subtle, but these are the transitions that win matches. These are the transitions that get you into the next step or the step that you need to take to get in the right direction to submit your opponent, to get to that next step, to get out of the opponent's guard, to slip deeper into the opponent's guard. Now, I'm, I don't want to speak as I'm some high-level professional here. I'm speaking to someone who watches MMA not only for entertainment value, but to watch MMA to also learn what the fuck I'm watching. If you have any love for any sport, anything you're consuming on a regular basis, if you're not trying to understand the higher level or the intricacies of what you're watching, what is the love for? How can you explain this to anyone else that you want to actually bring into the sport or say, hey, what you're watching right now is not boring. This scramble on the ground, this wrestling on the ground <laughs> for the uninitiated, you know, oh, I, I want to, <laughs> my fucking cousins, they, they, I guess it's, it's a different mind state for a different generation. These older guys, they're just like, oh, you know, two men wrestling on the ground. I, I want to put my head in some, dude's, <laughs> in some dude's ass. Listen, this is combat. You never know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. There are people fighting in Ukraine who probably never thought they would fight a day in their fucking lives. And guess what? All that shit matters now. Combat, hand-to-hand -hand combat, it matters now. If you can shoot a gun, if you know how to survive on less than what you've been surviving on, it matters now. So, all the perspective about MMA is gay or MMA is this and it's a bunch of dudes wrestling, it sure fucking is, but guess what? Those dudes would probably beat the shit out of you. Moving on. These women too, these women as well. <laughs> shout out to Mackenzie Dern. Damn, I thought Torres won that one. But shout out to Mackenzie Dern. Now, speaking about Jack Shore and kind of wrapping it up for what Jack Shore can do next or where Jack Shore should go next, we had a shakeup this weekend in the bantamweight division. I don't think Jack Shore would be shooting for a title anytime soon, but you got to think what would be his next opponent 
if if he's if he needs to get into the rankings there, if he needs to kind of slide through the rankings. I do not believe Jack Shore is ranked just yet. But again, this is an undefeated fighter who is a champion in another organization. Yeah, I believe the organization is basically a farm for the UFC, so they're probably not too fucking goosed. But still, he remains undefeated while in the UFC. Since he won't be fighting Jan or Sterling probably within the next fight or two, we got to think about Rafael Sunsell, maybe Ricky Simone. What if he can get another boost and maybe even fight Pedro Munoz? I don't know. But I would love to see Jack Shore kind of jump this ladder. Or maybe his next fight, he, you know, he gets one of those spectacular fight of the night bonuses or just something that helps him elevate how he's perceived to fight fans. Because obviously, that's when you start getting the bigger names, right? That's when you start getting the bigger contracts. You start getting placed on more pay-per-views or getting placed on pay-per-view, period. It's the consumer acceptance of you. And the UFC or the MMA <laughs> acceptance is, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, as they say, what have you done for me lately? And I believe Jack Shore is going to show a lot of people what the fuck he can do with his, within his next couple of bouts in the UFC. Now, hopping off of Jack Shore's nuts. Now, this week's member spotlight, I want to give a special shout out to Cali Lucci, or better yet, California Lucci. I reached out to California Lucci about a year ago, and he was one of the first artists I reached out to. I believe he was the only rapper I reached out to. This is one of the ones I, uh, I liked the most, and he accepted. And I think that was more of an honor, because as soon as I heard the beat for a song he eventually put out a video for, which means he knew it was a hit, I knew it was a hit, Many Moons. Currently on YouTube, official video off the No Cosign album. Speaking of cosigns, I, I don't know if I, I said that already, but he doesn't need my cosign, but I cosign. This is why I picked this dude. This is why I reached out, and I was, again, honored. He said yes. If you want to show California Lucci some love, head over to MovieRolls.com and check out his arcade profile. You'll find quick links. Go check those out. Again, official video on YouTube. Yes, yes, yes. Only the best. Super talented artist. And I see this guy going far. Let's do it. Alexandro Pereira. Or Alex Pereira. Poetan. If you're not familiar with Alex Pereira, or Pereira, he is a kickboxing champion who, had, who has defeated Israel Adesanya on two occasions. The last bout by KO. Now, bringing up Alex, I'm bringing up for several reasons. He's about to shake up the middleweight division. How? But the UFC announcing a fight with Sean Strickland. Now, I'm going to hop around a lot here because I, my brain is... The, the concept of Alex jumping up. He's not ranked yet. He just entered the UFC. I think he's on his second fight within the UFC. This would be his third fight in the UFC, which means if he can jump to fight, he's almost on the same path as Hamzat Chemaev. Now, I'm not saying the same path as the damage that Hamzat has put in within his four fights, but if Alex can rank or beat a ranked fighter within the top five in his first four or five fights, that's putting him basically on the same trajectory as Hamzat. Now, back to what I was saying before. With the Strong Strickland bout in the works, 
Alex Pereira may not be ready for five rounds if this becomes a fight night main event. Now, I predicted Pereira would be fast-tracked based on his history with the current champ, Izzy, but I had no clue he would be basically put on the track, the same track as a bullet train. Now, I do see this ending up, and again, I, I haven't looked into the details because I don't think the ink is dry, but this should be a three-round fight for Alex's sake on pay-per-view. Because this, I feel like this is something we should have to pay for. To see Boatan slingshot or possibly slingshot from an unranked UFC middleweight to wherever he shakes out after the pound-for-pound pound rankings, if he can get a win over Strickland, a.k.a. Tarzan. Now, I'm going to go on a brief tangent about Sean Strickland for a slight reason. Well, it's not a slight reason. It's a, it's a full reason. <laughs> and it's a big reason. Sean Strickland currently has one of the best records in the middleweight division, let alone MMA. The only middleweight with a better overall record is Gregor Musasi with 49 and 7, currently fighting out. Gregor Musasi is currently fighting out of Bellator with a 49 and 7 record. What? What the fuck? <laughs> so Gregor Musasi might be the best middleweight in the world, and at Bellator 282, I guess we'll see if he can make that 50 and 7. What I'm saying here is Sean Strickland's record is, I think he's 25-3. and three. That's the best in the middleweight division. Yes, Izzy is 20-1 and one or 22. I, I can't remember Izzy's record currently. But I am speaking about, let Izzy get to 23 fights. Uh, I, I hope Izzy never loses. Well, I mean, you know, that's, I am an Izzy fan. But Sean Strickland, as long as he's been in the game, I do to fucking... He's kind of like, people are sleeping on him. People are sleeping on him. I, I believe he gets the respect he deserves at a certain level, but people are really sleeping on this dude. If Alex can get past him, maybe one fight before he can get a Izzy fight? At most? Now let's get back into the Alex prayer. Let's actually get back into why we're talking about this. Because this makes me excited for what, what is in store for future UFC events? The UFC is a business, and guess what? Business is booming. And whenever Strickland may not give Poitain a title shot, but it puts him much closer to catching Izzy before he makes his way out of the middleweight division. To have the only man that has not only defeated your middleweight champion twice, again, once by KO. <laughs> this is the UFC's ROI a.k.a. return on investment. With Izzy being quoted as one of the highest paid fighters on the roster, how could the UFC not see the potential in what could lead to a legacy fight between Alex and Israel Adesanya? Reminder in newsflash, though, to the uninitiated, not only were these two kickboxing champions in other organizations, they were both champions at a higher weight class. We may not only see these two fight at middleweight, but also light heavyweight. Think about that shit. Next, we're going to get into why the WFL is huge for the sport of MMA. But first, let's take a break in the action for some sponsor love. This week's sponsor, Stadium, a sport odyssey. A two-player collectible strategy cardboard game. Battle it out as two head coaches in this futuristic setting. Now, as I mentioned, this is a collectible card strategy board game. So... This can go on for seasons and seasons, and actually, if you want booster packs and you want to check out the bundle that this comes with, head over to movierolls.com 
or you can head straight over to stadiumasportodyssey.com and check it out there. Now, as always, for all our sponsors and members, if you're driving, if you're cooking, if you're going through your man's phone, accidentally press play and you're hearing this, stop. Your man's not cheating on you. And to get him a gift to show you that he's a good man, (laughs) head over to movierolls.com and go ahead and get him Stadium of Sport Odyssey so he can actually stay home and, and play the game with you or his friends. The future of MMA. Now, some of these segments will be on fighters. Some of these segments will be on topic, topics that are currently running through my mind, running through the MMA community. This kind of deals with fighter pay in a certain way. But you get, you, to, to just broaden your, your perspective just a little bit, the WFL, World Fight League, may change everything in MMA, well, for the most part. As we know it, fighter pay, contracts, deals or brand deals, all that stuff. But let's 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 we'll dive into that a little bit more later. Let's dive into some of the people behind the WFL or who have been rumored to be, be behind the WFL. First, I'm going to talk about GSP. GSP might be the Jay-Z of MMA, meaning he might be one of the smartest fighters to start his own fight team within the WFL rumored to be called the Montreal Force. I don't mean he's smart for starting his own venture, because damn near every athlete should be smart enough to reinvest in themselves as a brand. But GSP doesn't shy away from being relevant. As he stays in the MMA spotlight between his participation with one fighting, wanting to compete for charity events, or (laughs) he's still being called out by some high-profile fighters chasing MMA GOAT status. Why do I bring up GSP? I believe GSP's preserved intelligence will be essential if he's confirmed to be working with Darren Owen and the World Fighting League. Darren Owen is the founder of the World Fighting League. I believe GSP is essential to the representation and introduction of a brand new league. Now, if the WFL goes live in the first quarter of 2023, per Darren Owen, the founder, Then we should start seeing WFL promo go live the last quarter of this year, 2022. Since GSP's contract with the UFC is up or should be up, (laughs) per per his interview with Ariel Hawani, here goes the bigger picture in my opinion. Any one person or group of former MMA fighters can potentially invest into their own team, using their MMA career as leverage. By having a legend like GSP as a rep, who wouldn't feel at ease joining the WFL? In 2023, we'll have to see how many current and retired fighters are named to be officially working with the WFL. But personally, I love hearing Darren Owen speak about the motive that fuels the WFL. Anyone who thinks this won't work from a competing standpoint, allow me to shine some light on my perspective. The WFL does not need to compete with the UFC from a business standpoint. That would be suicide. I personally see nothing but positives for current and future MMA fighters going into the WFL, UFC, Cage Warriors, Bellator, or any fighting promotion. New organizations breed new competitive wages. Better pay for fighters. That's what the whole fight is. That's what the whole point is, right? We as people need to be better people. We need to treat our peers and our fellow people, how they want to be treated. 
I think this is that stone or this is that stepping stone to that point. If fighters know more options exist, it can only lead to improved and new contract structures, benefiting fighters. So if you ask me from a fighter's perspective, I see endless possibilities, especially when it comes to evolving the sport of MMA and ultimately the longevity of the fighter. That's going to do it for episode three of The Commando. As always, I'm your host, Mike David. Head over to MovieRolls.com and check out the Movie Rolls Arcade, its members and sponsors. Until next time. If you stuck around this long, I thank you. We have a special member giveaway. So to the first top 25 Movie Rolls Arcade members, you have your chance to win your very own copy of Stadium of Sport Odyssey. Now, this is one of our goals and one of our milestones. So stay tuned on MovieRolls.com. And if you're a member, you'll receive the updates on when everything will go live. And there will be more giveaways than just this one game. But this is just a special offer for the special episode. and a special sponsor.